there, everyone. Welcome to the Teach Them Diligently podcast. Every week, we bring you insightful and encouraging information to help your homeschool family thrive. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. Today's podcast is a really important one for parents with middle school or high school kids especially. I'll be talking to Stephen Butel all about dual enrollment. Now, Stephen's going to give us insight about why dual enrollment can be a good idea for your student. I'm also going to ask him what to look for to make sure your student is prepared to be successful as a dual enrollment student. We're going to talk about the questions that you should ask colleges as you're considering dual enrollment and so much more. So you don't want to miss a moment. Today's episode is brought to you by Cedarville University, home to more than 4,700 students in Southwest Ohio. If your high school student is ready to get a jump start on earning college credit, Cedarville offers dual enrollment courses that are both academically challenging and biblically faithful. Your homeschooled student can choose from a general education or Bible minor courses, or they can even try a course from a major they're interested in. Whatever they choose, they will experience Cedarville's unique blend of academic excellence with a distinctly Christian worldview. Learn more at cedarville.edu forward slash dual enrollment. Again, that address is cedarville.edu forward slash dual enrollment. I also wanted to let you know that we have a homeschooling high school summit that's available to you. That compilation of video workshops will give you an incredible amount of information and insight as you navigate their high school years and prepare your students for whatever God calls them to do beyond high school. Check the show note for today's episode to get a link to sign up for that and to learn more about our homeschool guidance counselor as well. For now, though, won't you join me in welcoming Stephen Butel to the podcast. guys, welcome back for another edition of the Teach Them Diligently podcast. Today we are going to be talking about something that is so important for those of us, especially that are homeschooling high school, but it's also very misunderstood and a little bit intimidating, or at least it was for me. So we have Stephen Butel on the program today. Stephen is the Director of Dual Enrollment at Cedarville University, um, and he's been doing that since August of 2016. So he's got a lot of of experience and knowledge under his belt. Stephen's also an adjunct professor in both the business and the kinesiology um, departments, as well as allied health departments. So uh, he's got a lot of different irons in the fire. He can speak to a lot of different things that are going on within our families, um, especially as we are preparing for college. So Stephen, welcome to the program. Thanks, Leslie. appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to the discussion today. Well, you are very, very welcome. Um, I'm, I'm actually really eager to talk about dual enrollment because I, as, as many who are listening know, I have three in college right now, but back probably about the same time that you started in 2016, I was starting my dual enrollment um, process with my kids. And I've just seen a lot of 
different uh, reactions to it. Even within my my three children, we took different approaches with it. So um, I know that there's a lot of different ways that this can go. Uh, but before we before we jump in and start talking really specifically about those different approaches and different children that we're we're actually setting up, why don't you tell us for those who may not even be familiar with the concept, what is dual enrollment and why is it a good idea? To, to look at as a, as a homeschool family. Sure. Uh, the, the term dual enrollment, you know, as, as you can probably dig into the nuance of it, but dual enrollment is enrolling in multiple locations at the same time. Generally speaking, it's been more enrolling in high school classes and in college courses at the same time. That's where you get the dual enrollment concept. Um, some other terminology that is out there, concurrent enrollment is another term that is used, uh, dual credit, is uh, is kind of how the credits are applied within the framework of dual enrollment. Um, and I apologize for the noise behind me. Apparently, they've just started, decided <laughs> to start uh, grinding on something. I don't know what that is. Um, but dual credit then would apply to a student using the college credits that they are enrolling in, both on the high school transcript and at uh, at the institution that's providing the credit. So. Um, that would be the, the quick overview and definition of dual enrollment and dual credit. Um, families that are looking to do this, we see a variety of reasons for families that do this. Some are ranging from their students really advanced and they've run out of options for them at the high school level and they're just kind of ready to move on. Um, mm-hmm. But they might not be quite ready to move on because they're not old enough or they haven't technically graduated yet. Others, they're looking to maybe take advanced subject area um, in math and English, and maybe some things that students are not, maybe don't have access to uh, at home or um, in the framework of what they're doing. Um, so that's been something we see a lot of. Others are just trying to get a head start. Uh, yeah. Maybe their junior or senior year, they want to try out, I'm interested in psychology, but also I might want a business degree. So I'm going to take this general psychology class to see what that class is like, see if it's an area of study that I'm interested in, and maybe it can help me navigate I don't have to be undeclared for a year in college while I figure out what yeah. I want to study. Again, there's nothing wrong with being undeclared. I was undeclared for a year myself, um, and I think I turned out okay. I don't, I don't know my story <laughs> on that. But, um, you know, a lot of students will change their major in college, and sometimes this can be a great way to just test the waters in both gaining confidence in, in taking college classes, but also learning what I want to study. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also, you know, just – very, very practically, it's an incredible or an incredibly economical way to approach college and help your kids decide what they want to do. Because it's so much easier, like you were noting, when they're, they kind of have split interests and they're not sure exactly what direction they want to take. It is a lot more economical to let them put their toe in the water in a few different places um, early so that they can kind of get a better idea. What I found is the stuff that they just kind of kicked aside. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> you know, right, you know, right. more so really. So I don't know that it, it gave any of my kids like laser focused clarity, but it definitely got some stuff out of the way. Um, and it was it was a much more economical way than for them to waste, you know, an entire semester of their freshman year or something or an entire year yeah. still trying to figure out that something's just not a good fit for them. And, you know, college is expensive. So um, trying not to extend beyond four years or even shortening four years can be very helpful for families that are, you know, concerned about their finances. You know, 
in our current climate here in the United States, you know, inflation and other things could be a concern. And paying for college seems to continue to be a more monumental approach to their finances than maybe it was even when when most parents were in school. So I 100 percent agree with you that um, economically it could be a great way to not have to take extra time in college or for some students, it can even be something that says, nope, college is not for me. I need to get into right. the trades, become an entrepreneur. And I'm not one that says everybody should have to go to college, even though I work for a university. I think there are huge benefits for students to pursuing the trades and other areas, especially if they're a hands-on learner and they mm-hmm. like being involved in those areas. That can be a huge opportunity for them to determine, yep, college is not for me. Maybe construction, welding, uh, you know, um, Mechanical, automotive, things like that can be uh, something that they should be looking at as well, uh, especially if they have interest in using their hands as they look to look at careers in the future. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to, well, first of all, I, I agree with you totally. In fact, I have uh, one of my children is at a four-year college now and really evaluating whether that's the path that needs to be continued on because um, just where the strengths lie, where the interests lie, may be accomplished better taking a different route. And so we're praying through that right now with one of my kiddos. Um, But it is a very good way to get some insight into that. Um, Before we dive in and really look at, you know, kind of are your kids ready? And all these things that I think probably parents are asking out there. And how do we figure this out? I, I want to to stop for just a second because so many of our families, probably all of our families, are, are Christian homeschool families, or at least Christian mm-hmm. families, whether they've homeschooled or not. Um, and, and so we have spent our entire parenting lives, trying to instill in our children a biblical worldview, trying to teach them to love God and love other people and what that looks like, how that lives and all of that. And it's so, I've seen so many times where in one fell swoop, 18 years of, of investment in your child can be undone By carelessly dropping them into a situation where they're going to be confronted with worldviews that are incredibly antagonistic to a biblical worldview. Um, So so I want you to address that really quickly. How how important is it for these young people to to continue to seek after education that comes from a biblical worldview? Absolutely. Cedarville is a you know, Christ-centered learning uh, institution. That is, uh, we, we, biblical integration is incorporated into all of our courses. And we get, we see a lot of families that are concerned about enrolling their students in state schools, even if they're really good, you know, very good academically, well, well, will train their student well into their vocational field. But, you know, we've seen multiple avenues students have taken using Cedarville and a biblical dual enrollment program to protect themselves down the road from some of your, maybe your uh, humanities type courses and things like that, like a general psychology, where the worldview and the opinions associated in that area of study are, are very uh, probably differing from what most of us would, would believe or our worldview, but also the faculty teaching them might have a different perspective than your student. Uh, recently, in the state of Ohio, actually, there was uh, new legislation put in place for dual enrollment students to warn them about the content they might be 
um, wow. getting involved in at the at the college level. So there was a situation where a student in an English class at a, at a school um, had some very um, anti, I would say almost anti-humanity. I wouldn't say it's you know, like anti, wasn't an anti-Christian, but it would be something that you would look at the prompt for an English class and go, I'm not sure how that should apply in any context yeah. and why that should be something a student should consider, uh, let alone a 15-year-old dual enrolling. So wow. um, there actually was some state law that warns families now, every, every college in the state of Ohio that does dual enrollment has to warn families about uh, the content that they might be consuming. And so when a state itself is 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 notifying a family of that, and you know, the, obviously the state of Ohio doesn't have any uh, biblical worldview approach to it, but when, this, when a state legislator is saying that that's probably something we need to warn our our constituents about that makes me then take our our approach up another level with regarding yeah. um, biblical integration biblical worldview um is so important to continue in those areas because also as a student goes on in their four years and again not, every, not i'm not saying everybody should attend cedarville that's just not that's not that's not realistic but you know if a student is going to go to be a mechanical engineer how do we prepare them through a biblical worldview to be a, a mechanical engineer in a secular world. And so adding to the college experience and using colleges that maybe have a worldview like that, that can continue to add to your student as they learn how to become an adult, because you know this is probably the, sometimes the first time a student becomes autonomous in their learning, in you know maybe doing laundry for themselves for the first time in the dorm. I think I remember helping freshmen out, uh, you know, figure <laughs> out how to do that. But doing that in a place where Students can become an adult, but also you feel comfortable about uh, what they're getting taught. And if something is a controversial topic, it's also being taught from a worldview that the family has spent 18 years instilling in their students. So um, we, we really try to make sure that students are prepared for when they leave, but also understanding that there's a biblical worldview that is something that they've been pursuing for 18 years or so. Obviously, some students might be less, but... Um, how do we continue on in that um, here at Cedarville specifically? But I know there's a lot of institutions that you guys work with that also have that that mindset. So yeah, uh, I yeah. think it's, it's very important. Well, absolutely. In fact, I as you were giving that example about the English class, it reminded me, read a, um, a statistic, I guess is the best word for it, uh, where when, when asked about why they turned away from the faith, why they walked away in college, a huge percentage of the students polled said that it was something in their English class, their literature class. And I, that shocked me because we don't generally think of literature and English as being worldview. And yet when you step back and you think about the themes and the things that they're discussing and um, even the, the sentences that they can put in there for people to evaluate, it is a huge center of worldview. And I right. think that it's so easy to get complacent. And we think, you know, history, science, you know, religion, these are all worldview classes or can be, you know, really tainted for a worldview, but all of the classes, your worldview is going to show forth. Right. I was a math major at a, at a state school before I transferred to Cedarville and math's probably the safest <laughs> uh, area of study, but your, your, your professors are still going to have their own worldview because everybody has one. Um, right. And that can be lead to interesting conversations just in the classroom within the framework of, of life, you know? And um, again, I'm not, I'm not one that says every student should, 
should go to a Christian institution. I think it's a beneficial experience for them because it just some things just play into effect that you can't control. Right. And then certain situations are just better for students than others. And um, and for those students that aren't enrolling at a at a Christian institution or a Christ centered institution, um, how are you getting connected on campus? with Campus Crusade, um, with whatever the student union is for believers might be, because some mm-hmm. schools might have multiple. Um, and those are the conversations for students going to state schools I would recommend having. Um, and even like, I don't, I'm not sure if some state schools have that for dual enrollment students, but I'm sure it's worth pursuing if you're, especially yeah. if you're going to a campus, um, like a large state school would have, and looking at how to still be involved in Christian community, because I think it's so important. That's why, you know, the church is important. Um, and Christian community is so beneficial for, um, for growth. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, could not agree more. Uh, but now I, w- I want to segue a little bit over to the, the children and the families as they are evaluating dual credit in particular. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's incredibly important, especially with the ones that are still children. They haven't made it to adulthood yet to make sure that yeah. you are, you're giving them as solid of a foundation in every single thing that you're feeding them. Um, they just, you know, they've got to grow into the discernment to be able to weed through the various ideas. Um, and we've, we've, it's our responsibility as parents to give them the foundation to be able to do that. But as we are evaluating dual credit, um, can you give us some insight as to, you know, when do, when do kids generally start? When's it most common that they do it? And, you know, I know from experience that some children are ready before others are. Some children may not be ready for dual credits at all during high school. So how, you know, what are some tells on those things as well? Right. The vast majority of students we see are generally going to be rising juniors and seniors. So maybe you start looking at this in your sophomore year or the the spring of your sophomore year going into your junior year. The vast majority are in that category. Some schools actually limit it to juniors and seniors. The the state that we are in in Ohio actually allows 7th through 12th graders to use state funding towards uh, dual credit, dual enrollment. The vast majority of seventh and eighth graders and even some ninth graders are not ready to do that. Yes. Uh, but the students that are in 10th grade, I think it's 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 worth looking at. Even in ninth grade, at the end of ninth grade, start looking at that. You can even start incorporating a plan into whatever your high school experience is going to be for your student. But some of the tells, I think, are, are they advanced in how they are pursuing their coursework, as in, have they gotten through some high school graduation requirements already at a younger age? Are they a motivated learner? I think the big the big knock on dual enrollment right now, in my opinion, is students are very transactional in their approach mm-hmm. to college classes. So how does this fit into my degree path? How does this fit into what yeah. I want to do? As opposed to being a learner still, because I think that's why general education classes are so important, because it teaches you how to learn across multiple genres of study. And I think that would be a concern I would have for students is don't be transactional, be, be a lifelong learner in how you pursue things. Because as you study the Bible, you're going to be a lifelong learner. As you learn how to do a career, you're going to be a lifelong learner. Some careers are going to send you back to school to learn more and to broaden your areas of, of knowledge. So other things that can be helpful would include, um, you know, GPA. You know, if the student has a high GPA, you know, you're challenging your student in their academics. You know, if they have a 3.5 and above, 
that's a really good barometer of a student maybe looks to add some dual enrollment classes into their to their high school experience. Test scores can be a great way to determine if a student's ready. ACT, SAT, CLT, most uh, CDRL accepts all three of those. Um, I know some families are reticent to do time tests, uh, but in the college level, a lot of your tests are going to be timed. Yep. You have to get that test done in those 50 minutes. And this can be a great way to show that a student is ready or not to do classes. And if a family is on the fence about it, this can be a great way to determine, oh, okay, Johnny's, Johnny's ready to go do this. Hmm. Um, now, some students that might be, Johnny might need another year of high school before they're ready. So force, pushing students into it before they're ready can have some really negative effects. Um, they, they can have a mindset of they don't want to do this. So the effort isn't there. I think there's a natural, you know, human human speaking, you know, we don't necessarily jump full in on things we don't want to do all the time. Uh, huh. That's, uh, you know, I don't want to go do my taxes. And so I kind of push it off and maybe drag my feet on a little bit versus, you know, your college class, if you're not really all in on it, your grade might suffer a little bit. And that can exactly. have some effects long term on your GPA. So some of the factors I think that can be really helpful are just the maturity level for a student. If a student can't handle... Uh, some high-level learning, can't handle even failure. There's a lot of students that are used to getting all A's, and when they get that B-plus for the first time in their first exam (laughs) at the college level, that is a, you know, you think their their world is falling apart. But it's one B-plus in a class that the first test is the barometer for that, and then they get A's the rest of the way, and they're fine. But that first B-plus can be real eye-opening for parents and families in the fact that they're not used to their student not doing as well. Um, I unfortunately talk to some students who, if they don't get all A's, you know, they can't drive the family car or they can't play a sport because oh, you know, wow. they're not getting all A's. Yeah. That's a little bit of a, I, I feel bad for those students because, you know, you know, there's the old adage, C's get degrees. I understand do, doing well is important. And I think doing your best is important, but maybe your best in a certain class is an A minus or a B plus. And that's okay. A 3.8 GPA at the college level is really good. You are still graduating with, with honors, with with high honor, actually, in that category. So um, I think allowing students the space to fail can be really helpful, but your student also has to be ready to be able to handle that. You know, there's the factors of ac- academic readiness, emotional readiness, and social readiness. If you send a student off to a community college, they might be in class as a 16-year-old with 45-year-olds. That's a huge life gap in what they might experience, what they might hear in that classroom. At a private four-year institution like a Cedarville, you're primarily going to be in class with 18 to 22-year-olds. Cedarville doesn't have a high non-traditional student enrollment, so your age gap is going to be six years maybe as opposed to 26 years. Yeah. So yeah. those are some other factors to consider, but is your student socially ready? And then we mentioned emotional and academic readiness. And so those are three areas where, as you look into it, make sure your student's ready to do that. And then give them some space to fail, but also to support them in that Um Again, I don't want a student to fail, but I think for them to grow, there has to be a little bit of a challenge to grow. I coach basketball and, you know, for a student to get better, a student athlete to get better at that sport, you have to fail a little bit to get better. Mm -hmm. So, and some of that failure can also be transitioned into be challenged a little bit. And so academic challenging is the only way a student's going to get better in, in those areas. And so giving them some space to do that can be really helpful, but also supporting them in the process and knowing all right, I'm going to keep an eye on Johnny, but let him learn how to do email on his own. Let him learn how to communicate with a professor on his own and figure out all those things. Yeah, it's so important. And one thing that really 
caught me off guard and it shouldn't have, it, it makes sense, but I hadn't thought of it before. So I want to throw it out now for all the other me's out there. When my oldest started dual credits for the first time, it was the first time that I really didn't have access to any of the stuff that he was doing. So, and by what I mean by that is I couldn't see his assignments. I couldn't see his grades as they came in. I couldn't, you know, all of a sudden everything was outside of my, my control and my, you know, watchful eye. What that did, and and I was all for it. I thought this is great, but I kind of threw him in the deep end where we let stuff kind of get out of control before I even knew what was happening. So he wasn't really checking it a lot. I didn't even have access to it. Um, and, and so that, that class that he took that the first dual credit class that he took was really not, I mean, he had to repeat it because otherwise it would have hurt his GPA long-term, you know, it's just, it was a bad, he didn't do well. Um, but I could have definitely helped with that just by encouraging, even if I didn't have access to it, by not kind of throwing him in and expecting him to all of a sudden recognize his need to do all the stuff that I was doing before, as far as making sure that his assignment, you know, all this stuff, it was a very different experience. Even if your kid, like my, my children have done a lot of classes at co-op. So they're, they're accountable to other people. It's a great hybrid system for, for us. Um, But even with co-op, I have access to Jupiter Ed, which has all of their assignments and grades in real time so that I'm able to keep up with that. So I just want to encourage those of you who um, are kind of letting your kids go into this for the first time, don't don't pull back so much that you're leaving them on a wobbly ground for this first experience. Right. And one thing that can be just one thing we recommend right off the bat is have the student do the application mm-hmm. on their own, but like watch over the shoulder, let them figure out how to answer some questions and then, you know, confirm that they're doing it correctly as opposed to mom or dad doing it, the entire yep. application on their own, handling all the communication. Cause that helps, I think, start that process of a student going, Oh, I need to handle some of this on my own. And just filling out a form can maybe spur on a little bit of that responsibility factor that the student would have. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, um, and yeah, we want them to do it all on their own. And I, I think that my desire was so much that they do it all on their own, but I didn't give them any transition time. You know, I just kind of pulled myself completely out. And for that particular child, that was too much too soon while he was still in high school. Um, So kind of going back to the maturity side, you know, your student, we want them to start being incredibly independent because now, you know, all three of my older ones are completely on their own. Um, But you also don't want to pull back so fast that you're setting them up to really stumble. 100%. And there's a fine balance there because you have to determine every student's going to be different. We have, Mm -hmm. we get a lot of, you know, the entire family does dual enrollment with Cedarville and, you know, the first child needed a lot of handholding. The middle child was like, I got this mom and they're, they're great. And the third child is a wild card. Some, some semesters were good. others yep. <laughs> not so much. And that balance is going to be hard. I, I'm not a parent, so I don't know all of the nuances of that, but my staff, I have two homeschool moms on my staff and 
they've talked about how each of their students has been a little different. And yep. for them, it's really hard because they, they have access to a lot more information than any parent would, but they're like, nope, I have to stay out of it and do this like all the parents that don't have access to it. And um, it's it can be a challenge. And I think just constant communication is helpful there like anything in life. You know, you build relationships by communication and um, allowing the student to figure out how to communicate on their own, but allowing a little bit of feedback to come back is probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even one of the things that's so good about dual credit, well, there's a myriad of things, but one of the things that I was just thinking about is the fact that you can approach each child very differently. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, for my, I have two in the middle that are a year apart academically. They're like 21 months, but that came out to a year in school and they were able to do classes together, which was super helpful because one is really organized. The other one isn't. One is better at kind of academics, book stuff. The other one, Mm -hmm. you know, could use the studying with the, so it worked out really, really well where in their transition time, they were able to take a couple of classes together, shore up kind of the weakness in the other one. And that was another great approach that we were able to do because we were taking advantage of dual credit classes. Absolutely. And I love that. We, we get a lot of siblings that take classes together for that reason or, or to share a book even. Well, um, yeah. But I, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, every child's going to be different. So uh, maybe even balancing out some of the nuance there. And, you know, we have students who their, their brother or sister are here or did dual enrollment and they're like, I want to do what they did. And but when I work with that student, if I work with the older student, I have to treat that other the younger student completely differently, just depending on how the personality is, how they communicate. And um, yeah, allowing them to grow, but still have some guardrails up can be such a huge benefit. Yeah, it really, really is. Well, I I know that every college is different. Every state is different. You know, there's a whole lot of variation here, but, but for Cedarville, since, since you know that well, what Mm -hmm. kind of is the level of how many dual credits can you come into college with, you know, what, what would be the limit on that as people are planning out their high school years, what's reasonable and what isn't? Great question. There technically is no limit, but you do fa- you have to factor in some um, you know loan and um, satisfactory academic progress items within financial aid. Most students are bringing in thirty credit hours or less if they bring anything in. Yeah, um, you're gonna have a hard time getting into some major classes, especially if you're going to a school online that doesn't offer major specific courses. Cedarville is one of those. Cedarville is a very discipleship and community based college, and so that's just our mission, and we're not gonna have students take their entire degree online and there's schools yeah. that are out there that do that and they do it really well and that's okay but our mission is going to be more discipleship and community so we are very much focused on 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 that approach and but we in ohio it's probably more unique than others just because there's a large state funding model for it but we see a lot of students that are coming in with 12 to 16 credit hours hmm. and what that does is it allows a student to explore a major a minor um, or a double major or double minor and get, or even just like if you're doing engineering at Cedarville, mechanical engineering, it's 139 credit hours to graduate in four years. And most majors Cedarville 128. So you think about those wow. 11 credit hours that you can get done ahead of time. Even if they're just your general education core, that's removing them out of you take at the same time you're taking physics too in your senior capstone project. And that can really lighten your load. And uh, sometimes that can affect your finances because your student may not have, can graduate on time, 
but also it can help build confidence in that and also just give them some time. If you, especially if you also want to be a student athlete, um, you know, if you're a basketball student athlete, you're basically in season from, from mid October through March. That's all. That's two semesters. Yeah. It's a long time. You play soccer. You're basically in season the entire fall semester. And if you go to a school that has spring soccer, you start playing games this weekend, uh, you know, two or three games in the spring. So if you can lighten your load down to 13, 14, 12 credit hours a semester, that benefit there just in mental health, in time can be really, really helpful in regard with regard to that. But we generally see 12 to 28 credit hours probably. We get a few that just take one just to get a feel for it. But um, the, 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 the range of classes taken now continues to grow. Um, and it just it does depend on each state. But we see anywhere from you know, 12 to 20. We've only had one student that I'm aware of come in and only have a year left of college. Wow. Um, but some of the danger there is, will that student get hired at, at 19 with a degree? Right. Um, there's a level of which socially, are they ready yet to jump into the adult um, job force world too? So you have to consider those things. And if for families that are thinking about getting ahead using dual enrollment, and I'm, hopefully I'm not jumping on a question or answer later or ask later, but if you were thinking about graduating high school early to enroll, some majors you can't even get into major classes until you're 18. For example, nursing, mm-hmm. you can't do clinicals until you're 18. So if you graduate at 17 and you're a young 17 year old, you can't actually get into your major until you're 18. And so some of those things need to come into play too, as you think about other areas. Now, if you go to a Bachelor of Arts degree, you probably are okay graduating high school early and jumping into it at 17. But some of those other ones that are maybe medical field, things like that, you have to look at what is required even doing on-site clinical work. So, but yeah, I hope I answered your question with regard to the credit hours. And if you're getting over 60 credit hours done, which is going to be a little bit more difficult to do, especially if you start as a junior, but it's probably worth having a conversation with the financial aid office of the institutions that you're looking at just to make sure all your ducks are in a row. Yeah. The other thing about playing a college sport is you do have to be taking classes towards a degree. So you might actually have to add a major if you're really far ahead to use all four years of eligibility to play. So those are just some things to consider. Now, one, one benefit is if you are, if you have 32 credit hours done and you have to get some private loans or federal loans to enroll in a college, you actually can have more access to loans if you've taken some classes because they are like, well, they've taken some classes. They're probably more likely to continue on, uh, especially if they've passed all of them. So they actually might give you more loans uh, from the, generally, I think loans from the federal government tend to work out a little bit better than the private loans in with regard to higher ed. Um, and I know some families don't want to pursue those at all, but I'm just sharing all the options that are available yeah. to students. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So there are there are obviously so many variables, so much that you're going to want to um, to really kind of be aware of, which is honestly why it's so it's such a good idea to come to something like teach them diligently where we bring in all these different colleges we have a homeschool guidance counselor on site where people can actually ask their questions in one spot of a myriad of different places so that right. they can get a better understanding of what the path should be for their child 100% and all the i know you have multiple colleges that attend teach them diligently we will be at both of the big events um, and I'm more than happy to answer any question a student has about dual enrollment, even if they don't enroll at Cedarville, because that's, it's just that important to understand the nuances of all of it and how it can affect your student and how it can affect, and we even talked about transferability and things like that. And, right. um, 
So talk to those institutions at these events. I think there's value in in learning about how different schools do different things, how different states do things, and how, oh, I can also a la carte this and take a class at Cedarville and take a class at a school in Texas and a school in Virginia. And um, there's there's a lot of things that I can pursue. But asking those questions and talking to those people on site can be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And and since you mentioned it, I want to kind of follow up on that idea of transferability. Sure. How big of a consideration is that? You know, especially if you're you're doing dual credits, maybe because it's convenient to a place or whatever, rather than this is where my child wants to go all four years. How does right. that factor in? What are some of the questions that parents need to be asking about that? The biggest question I think people think they should ask is, will it transfer? And I actually think the question should be, how will it transfer? Okay. Most colleges will give you three general credits for most colleges' classes. But that doesn't help you towards graduation unless your degree is highly elective-based, which is fine. But you want to ask the question is, how will this class transfer to institution A or institution B? Mm-hmm. CDRL is fully accredited, so most of our classes do transfer. But then you get into the nuance of some institutions and some of your maybe more higher, higher end, it's not the word I want to use, but they would be considered higher end. They might not take very many of those credits as actual, this is U.S. History 2 for us. Gotcha. Um, now, a lot of the schools like Cedarville in, in, our, in our world, in our reach and the sister schools to us, we're all going to probably transfer in very similarly. Um, Cedarville is actually pretty open for transfer credit. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing you have to consider is most schools will only take them as a credit. They're not going to give you the GPA for it because, well, if they consider themselves a rigorous institution, maybe another institution not, they don't want <laughs> you getting the quotes easy A and then getting yep. the GPA for it because you're skipping the class at that institution. So do know that most schools just give you a credit for it. They don't give you the grades. So if you're trying to pad a college GPA ahead of time, you can't do that unless you're doing it as at the institution you're going to enroll in. I do know of at least one school that does still give grades but that's on the very, very minority end of most colleges. Um, so as you're looking at schools and you're doing rolling, I would contact the registrar's office at each of those institutions and say, if I go, if I take dual enrollment classes, say at Cedarville, and I want to go to institution B, how will institution B take these credits? Usually most schools will give you an answer pretty quickly on that because they, you know, good customer service. They want you to enroll there. Yeah, um, yeah. And so they should be able to give you an answer. And most of the time when a registrar's office gives you an answer in writing, especially if you go via email, um, they kind of have to stick to that. So um, you can be kind of assured with that. Now, there's some nuance to like if a student is a 2025 high school grad, their college catalog will be 2025, not when they enroll in 2021 as a mm-hmm. dual enrollment student. So that's some of the nuance there too. But whole overall, most schools don't have issues with transferability, especially as dual enrollment credits. But the question still gets that needs to be asked is not will it transfer, but how will it transfer? Wow. That is very interesting. I didn't, um, that, that was actually really insightful and I appreciate that very much. We are just about out of time, Stephen, but before we go, I wanted um, to just see if there's anything else that you feel like is really important for parents to understand about dual credits mm-hmm. um, or where can they find more information? I assume you guys probably have some information on your website or a spot where they can go to get more details. Absolutely. I think my my one final point that actually is probably self-defeating, um, but there is a, a, a conception out there that if you take dual enrollment classes, you can save money in the long run. Um, that's not necessarily the case. 
a lot of parents I talked to, they went to school where they would pay per credit hour to enroll at that college. Anymore, a lot of schools are now you pay with block pricing. So if a student yeah. enrolls with 12 credit hours or 17, you're paying the same price. So if you only take eight, eight to nine credit hours, you're probably not going to save any money over the course of those four years versus, you know, the traditional, you know, even in the late 90s, early 2000s, you were still paying per credit hour. But now yeah. everybody, almost everybody is paying in block tuition pricing. So that's where the benefits on the other side of it, I think you have to weigh a little bit. So some of the benefits I see, as we mentioned, some of these already building confidence to enroll in college full time. Um, you can actually boost your high school GPA with some college courses, especially if you do some grade grade weighting. There is evidence that a student that dual enrolls has a higher GPA after their sophomore year than their peers that don't dual enroll. Hmm. Um, they're more likely to stay enrolled in a four-year institution if they attend one, because I think that goes back to the confidence piece, but their students are way more likely to enroll and stay enrolled in a four-year institution than um, if those that do not. So I think if you want to make sure that you're spending your money well for their freshman year of college, sometimes dual enrollment can show this is a good insurance policy to make sure they finish those four years, right. which sounds like a terrible way to describe using your finances, but uh, you know, that's just kind of <laughs> how it is. Some colleges might view your dual enrollment credit as a way to get in a little bit better than others because it shows a higher and more advanced maybe coursework. Cedarville doesn't view it that way uh, necessarily, but some institutions might. And then, as I mentioned before, that building that breathing room into your college schedule or being able to add minors and majors can be beneficial. But um, those are kind of the things I wanted to hit on. And, you know, the risks of dual enrollment are basically the opposite of all those ones I just shared. You know, if a student doesn't do well, and we kind of, you mentioned this a little bit before, but it can have a negative effect on how they view college. But I think with the, the guide rails that parents can put into place and maybe doing things in a slow ramp up process, as opposed to, I do not recommend having your student jump in with three or four classes at once. Right. That can just be really overwhelming. So start off with one or two. Make sure you factor in all their extracurricular activities, sports, music, drama, theater, robotics, whatever it is, dance, equestrian. Uh, make sure you factor in that, plus all the, the classes they still might be taking at the homeschool co-op or at home, and make sure you factor in how much time is needed. The general yeah. recommendation for a class, especially an online course, is about seven, 10 hours a week on it. And is there enough time to work on that? Some students spend less time, which is great, but are we factoring in the time that is needed for a student to be successful? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, not pushing them ahead of where their maturity is ready right. to go. And that's a real um, temptation, I think, for a lot of us is just even if they do well in a class to then deep dive them into three or four, it's a whole right. different it's a whole different world. So uh, just making sure that you're you're in tune with your child, that you are paying attention to, you know, how they're doing in a lot of ways, not just academically, to make sure that they're ready to to go deeper and deeper and deeper into this. One hundred percent. And I think having conversations with the faculty or not faculty, the staff at institutions that are doing this, that do academic advising, that do do enrollment. Uh, can also be helpful just to understand the best fit for your student. Now, obviously, they don't know your student that well, but they have some experience dealing with, you know, we have 600 students enrolled this spring at Cedarville in dual enrollment. And there's a lot of life experience just in those conversations that we have as advisors with those families. And we can we can help pick and choose and maybe help, hey, this was helpful for this family. This was not, you know, then allow you to make the best decision moving forward. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, I know that you guys have a dual enrollment um, page on your website. We Can do. you tell us where to find that and what what will parents find if they look? Our donor website has a few things that might be helpful. One is just our admission policy. But if you go to cedarville.edu slash dual enrollment, and it's D-U-A-L, not E-L. <laughs> For those of hmm. you that are like me, they have to think through it every time before they spell it. Um, <laughs> cedarville.edu slash dual enrollment, uh, all, one, all one word, dual enrollment. Uh, that'll take you to our landing page. From there, you can click on and see the courses that we offer online. You can see the uh, admission policy for Cedarville. We we actually don't require test scores for enrollment for high school students. We're looking for at least a 3.0 high school GPA. But also on there, if you were to actually to go to the accepted students link on the left side of the screen, we actually have an orientation page that's available for everyone. So even if you don't attend Cedarville, but want to see how we're instructing students before they enroll, that could actually be a helpful thing for them to see just to learn what a student might expect before they go in there. So. Um, our information there is very Cedarville specific, but that orientation might be actually helpful for families uh, as they look into doing this. And that's why we kind of made it available on the front end as opposed to after they're enrolled and uh, sending it out, you know, privately or, or off the web. So, uh, but our, our website has the courses that we offer. We actually have some webinars that we've recorded previously as well. Some are Ohio specific, others are, uh, you know, when, where, why, and how, how to incorporate your, your, um, dual enrollment into your high school experience. So some of those webinars might be also helpful for families. They're on demand. There's no paywall. They can just go on and view those at their convenience. Fantastic. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today, taking the time um, to, to really give us a lot of insight into something that can be a little tricky and overwhelming for high school parents. My pleasure, Leslie. I look forward to seeing you guys in person here soon. And um, I appreciate the time and effort going into allowing me to chat with you today. Well, you're very, very welcome. To everyone else out there, I hope that this has been uh, really helpful for you. I, I think Stephen gave a lot of great information um, to just let you know what to be thinking about, where to start looking for stuff, what to be considering. So um, I, I trust that this was really, really a good time for you. I know that when we were coming up, raising our oldest or getting our oldest ready to launch, we didn't have access to an awful lot of information like this, even though at the time we were doing Teach Them Diligently. So out of our experience in high school, we brought on a homeschool guidance counselor to, to kind of be available to give you insight into to how to navigate all of this. We have an ebook that will kind of walk you through step-by-step step, um, every month of every year of high school, how you can plan, what should you be thinking about? Um, it's not it's not super big and, and, and deep, but it's gonna give you a path that will help you be more confident as you are, um, as you're training and preparing your kids to get ready for college. So I will link that in the show notes as well as um, the Cedarville dual enrollment page and some other resources that we have for you. Make sure you go look at those. Start educating yourself on how to best equip your child to take this next step. Um, I hope that we get to see you at Teach Them Diligently. Again, like I noted before, there are very few things that are going to be more helpful for you than sitting down with um, a number of admissions counselors and dual credit advisors and so on on site and just be able to pick their brain and ask their questions. So um, a really, really great reason to come and join us. But I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.
joining us today. We believe that every family is called to teach them diligently. So we're here to help. We would love to get to know you this year at one of our four live Teach Them Diligently events. And then throughout the year, when you become part of the Teach Them Diligently 365 community, Check out the notes from today's show for more details about what we discussed today, as well as all of these other resources that Teach Them Diligently has to offer. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.